Hi, I'm Dan Krinas, host of the Leader of Learning podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. You're listening to the Ed Creation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional movements, resources, tools, and practices that are reshaping learning. I want to start today's episode with a story, and it's my story. So apologies if you've heard this before, but I was a classroom teacher for many years. I started out in elementary and then got qualified to teach secondary humanities, so English, speech, theater, reading, writing, etc. And I, like so many teachers I've worked with down through the years, kind of made it up as I went along, based on what was modeled for me when I went through school and what I saw other teachers doing. And then I went to a workshop about inquiry-based learning, and it was like walking into a tornado where everything whirled around and shifted places and all that seemed fixed just blew away. And when things settled, I was in Oz. And I'm not kidding. It changed everything about my classroom and the way I taught. And I also realized it was everything I had always believed deep down about teaching, but I had never known how to get there. And I eventually went to work for that company because I wanted to help other teachers make the shift that I had made. And today I'm visiting with two teachers who have a very similar story. Dan Fouts from the Chicago area is a 30-year veteran currently teaching high school social studies. So advanced placement government, regular government. I did American studies and U.S. history for about 15 years. And then I also have a philosophy elective. Dan has also led curriculum teams and served as his department instructional coach. His tornado moment was smaller than mine because he was already well down the path of an inquiry-based teaching approach. When he heard Kimberly Mitchell the founder of Inquiry Partners and author of the book Experience Inquiry, Five Powerful Strategies, 50 Practical Experiences, linked in the episode notes, speaking on a podcast, much like this one. And I said, I really have to talk to her (laughs) because a lot of what she was saying was very similar to what I believe in as a philosophy teacher. I'm big on questions. I'm big on inquiry. So there was a natural connection. Joining Dan and I to talk about Inquiry Partners is Aaron Sherman. This interview took place in the middle of the day on a Saturday, so I felt especially grateful to these two educators for giving up part of their weekend. But Aaron was calling from Rome, the Rome in Italy, where she was attending a conference, so extra gratitude. But it's not actually as far away as it sounds because Aaron is currently teaching fourth grade at the American School in Helsinki, Finland. So just a hop, skip and a jump from Rome, but far from us, which is why her audio is just a little bit glitchy here and there. Previous to that, I was a curriculum coordinator at a PYP school in Malaysia for a couple of years. Previous to that, I was living in Chile, um, where I got my fire for inquiry. And then before that, I was teaching in Dubai and I did my student teaching in South Africa. So I've been teaching for about 10 years across, I don't know, five countries. And the thing that brought Aaron to inquiry-based practices, it just makes sense. It's just good practice. And I found that when I gave learners voice, 
it changed everything. It made learning fun and not just for the students, but for me as well. The resource that you both came to share that ha- that you've worked with is called in- Inquiry Partners or Inquiry Partners. And for our listeners, tell us um, in a nutshell what that is. I like to think of it as like a smorgasbord of just different ways you can bring inquiry into your classroom. If you want to you know, ask more and talk less, which is one of her five strategies, well, then here are some things that you can do to do that. Try it out. And what I really like about her book is that it's more of like a workbook where you can, you know, write in it, put notes in it. And, you know, there's something for every everybody in, in that resource. So that that's how I would boil it down. I think for me, working with inquiry, I realize that the best way to meet learners where they were was to figure out what they knew. And when we stopped and just asked them, we learned a lot. And it almost made me realize. And so that's what's so great about Kimberly Mitchell's book is that, you know, you're trying to figure out what if I can inspire someone or if I can get them to communicate more effectively, or if I want to work on their behavior, I could open up the book and, and find any page that I felt like would be relevant for me. And, and that's the best kind of text, not the theory where I can, you know, read about it, but actually open up any page and feel energized by it. That's, that's what I found to be most powerful in her work. So is the book kind of like a pedagogical guide? It's a collection of strategies to put into action things that research says are important for inquiry-based classrooms. And she has all kinds of research citations that back up everything that she talks about. But it's, but it's not a book that you would read if you're just looking for research. It's a book about for doing. This is how you do inquiry, not think about it. And are there other resources paired with Kimberly's book? Does she and her team come and do training with you in your classroom or for your school or district? Christy, actually, that's how I got in contact with Kimberly. I was working with another inquiry guru. Um, her name is Kath Murdoch. Okay. She and I were working together um, to facilitate a workshop in Malaysia right before the pandemic. So let me tease out a few of these threads for you. Kath Murdoch, with whom Aaron was working to create an online workshop in Malaysia, serendipitously wrote the foreword to Kimberly's book, Experience Inquiry. When Kimberly expanded her work to include online courses, Kath connected the two of them, and Erin helped to revise and pilot the teacher trainings. And she really loves this course, as you'll hear. So her workshop is the Inquiry 5, and it's 17 hours. And you're thinking, oh my God, that sounds substantial. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... That's substantial. I mean, if you're from the U.S., 17 hours towards renewing your teaching license, that's nothing. That's, that's easy peasy. So that's a really great, like, and it's, it's quite inexpensive. But aside from all the numbers, let me just tell you how relevant it is. You are going to have those pages bent, folded, scribbled on, crossed off. It is going to be loved because when you pair that book with the Inquiry 5 
course, you are really getting into the heart of the teaching and the learning that is so powerful and so meaningful. So in conjunction with the book and the course, you're able to dig deep into what inquiry really is and actually do something with it. It is not, let's just talk about it and plan for it. No, 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 no. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to go eat my lunch and come back after lunch and I'm going to put it into action because teachers always need to make time to eat. So right away, applicable right away, um, it becomes a guide. So there's the book and there's the course. And it sounds like any teacher could become engaged with this work, regardless of what the rest of their school or district is doing. Am I right? What I want to do in my district is show how the method that I'm sharing is also fits nicely under what Kimberly is doing and hopefully bring in more of Kimberly's work and get my district's attention. So you both said that this was a shift for you at some point in your teaching career. And I would love for each of you to give us kind of a before and after picture. It was really, really beautiful. Um, as an American, I'm sure some of our, our teachers will, will recognize this. I'm, I'm a Bobcat from uh, Ohio University, go Bobcats, but I'm from Columbus. And so we always say like, oh, H, and then people respond with, I, O. And so I had been, you know, seeing on Pinterest, like these like call and command type of strategies to get children's attention. Like we all know the clap, 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 clap. Like we know that. And so my like first beautiful experience of inquiry was, it was my first day in Chile. So when I walked in, I asked the children, and this is like getting personal. I asked the children, how would you like me to get your attention? Painful wait time. And um, one of my students was like, well, Miss Chile is in the finals right now. And, and when we do it, it goes, chi, 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 le, 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 viva Chile. So what the students would say is, chi, 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 le, le, le. And then I would say, le, le, le. And then we would all say, viva Chile. And I like sat there for a minute and I thought, this is just like a bank. Like I'm just sitting outside in the bank and there's all these sources of information that I've just like, just tapped into. I was culturally responsive by listening to those learners. I was able to connect with them on something from a different country as a white cisgender female from suburbia, Ohio thinking, how am I going to connect with these these um, students where I don't even, I don't speak Spanish. So it was this idea that as soon as I got personal, as soon as I started asking questions, as soon as I started using this like think time, these students started to care about me and I to them. And we were able to create wonderful work together because it wasn't this hierarchy. There was distributed leadership. There was an autonomy. There was a sense of ownership in, in everything down to how I connected with you when I came to getting your attention. So I think my behavior went down. I was able to connect more with the students. I felt like I belonged. And what was even more important, they felt like they belonged and they felt like it was a safe space. And I felt like I was able to do that through these strategies. Beautiful. I love that. Um, what about you, Dan? 
Do you can, do you have kind of a before and after snapshot for us? Yeah, I'm going into my 30th year, and I studied philosophy in college. And I've always believed that philosophy is the most important thing for students to appreciate, only in the sense that it is inquiry. You know, so I've always appreciated it. But the first half of my career, I didn't, I, I did um, inquiry, but there were so many other distractions. I just couldn't commit as much time to it as I wanted. Then I developed a philosophy elective. I got that approved by my district. And so then it became more on my radar. And so Kimberly's work, as I learned more about hers, it, it just, it was an affirmation of what I already loved. And when I read the book, I'm thinking, why didn't I have this as an education student? You know, like th this is what I would want as an education student. I wouldn't have wanted to read about all of the theories. I would have wanted to get the strategies down and then kind of learn the research after the fact, but really become a practitioner first and then more of a research appreciation second. Um, so uh, this is a long way of saying that I, I came to it. I, I've always had it, but... Um, Kimberly's work has validated it in a way that that I could never do myself. And so I just, that I appreciate beyond words. Dan, that's so funny that, that you say that because I'm the opposite. Her, her theory, being able to justify that theory, it validated it. It, it made it worthwhile reading. Hmm. I was probably somewhere in the middle of the two of you. I just wanted something that was going to help engage my students in because I was an English teacher and give me strategies to more deeply engage my students with the texts that we were studying and the discussions that we were having around those texts and to make it relevant for them. And then realize that there's a whole field of research behind why to do it this way. But um, so can you talk about some of the specific strategies? You know, extending thinking time is something that is so important. I can't even, I can't overstate the importance of simple wait time when you ask a question in class and letting students digest a good question and not doing what every new teacher does, including me, guilty as charged, which is answering their questions. You have to let ideas marinate and questions marinate. You have to leave class with unanswered questions. And that is one of the hardest things to do as an educator. But what it does is it, it increases a student's capacity to tolerate ambiguity and uncertainty in a way that if you do it right... <laughs> It motivates them to learn on their own. Well, and I'm thinking too, Dan, that I mean, a lot of the reason we don't do it that way as teachers is that we just weren't taught to teach that way, especially my generation, right? But I think this, the course, the Inquiry Partners course could definitely turn that around for some teachers. Aaron, what are some of your favorite strategies and how do you see them impacting instruction in your classroom? Well... I mean, Dan did, you know, you took my two favorite, right? You took my, my extend wait time and ask more talk less. I have to tell you, how about I tell you what my least favorite one is? 
because it's the most challenging, but so beneficial. It's the encouraging evidence. That's one of the five key strategies. And it is by far the hardest for me, regardless of as a second grade teacher or a fifth grade teacher or teaching the early years, you can always get children to encourage their evidence. But as a teacher to make time for it, it is it is hard work. So so with her course, she calls it the crap test. C as in currency. R reliability. A authority or purpose point of view. My favorite is always saying like, which is the biggest uh, animal in the ocean? I like that's that's like a common kid question. So then, as the teacher, you can kind of navigate and and kind of see like, okay, well, let's go find out. Let's go to the library. Let's look at this book. This book looks a little old. What do you notice about this book? What, do you agree with it? Or And so you're constantly trying to probe and probe and probe. And something that's turned out to be like this 10 second question has not only turned it into research, you've got math because it's measurement and comparison. Learning. You've got language arts because they're reading to understand. You've got information media because they're determining um, reliability. You may have some fine motor skills if your little ones are young and they're turning the pages. So I've just ticked off about five different standards that is addressed just by the simple question of like, what's the largest animal in the ocean? That's great. And, and I would add, you could combine those two, you know, extend weight, um, thinking time and encouraging evidence because if you ask that question how do you know which is a philosophical question then you wait and and see what they say and then invariably they'll say well i heard it from my dad then you just got to slow things down and say well how is that a good source of information and then wait because if you model those questions, as you said, Aaron, and then you add this this extended thinking time, the kids will then start realizing that if they're gonna talk in class and make claims to knowing something, they need to know why they do and what evidence they have. So that's the thing about what I love about what Kimberly's done, because this is, it's kind of like the building blocks of their thinking. Quick review. Kimberly Mitchell's book, Experience Inquiry, outlines five transformative strategies for implementing inquiry-based learning, and they are, number one, get personal, two, stay curious, three, ask more, talk less, four, encourage evidence, five, extend thinking time. These strategies enhance instruction in every content area and every grade band from tiny tots to adults. I would say it's like the salt and the pepper of your teaching. It's the ketchup or mustard or mayo. Mm -hmm. It's the seasoning in your education, in your teaching, in your practice that just makes it better. Another way to think about the the strategies, they're just reminders for you. As you're planning your lessons, are you doing get personal, stay, get and stay curious? It's it's a framework for reminding yourself about what's important. What started to happen in your classrooms 
with your students specifically around, you know, not just relationship, but even around your, your content when you started to implement these practices? You want to go ahead, Erin? I was extending my wait time. I was too. I'm going to leave these pauses in the episode so people can hear us extending our wait time. <laughs> really, really good. It's really good. Um, yeah, I will only because it's just so magical. So I'm I'm in Malaysia. Um, it was, I had 10 boys in one class. That's it. And, and I moved up with them. So, so I have lots of memories, very fond memories of teaching these 10 humans. And um, we started this unit. I was just tuning in or just like trying to figure out what they knew about human migration. Just the concept of like human migration. And you, I've got learners from all different backgrounds, all different experiences. And all I did was introduce the words human migration and I just stopped I didn't say any statements for 40 minutes four zero all I did was ask questions it was the most we ended up in a geopolitical discussion and um talked about immigrants like it with eight and nine year olds and, you know, we talked about why people move. What's the difference between an immigrant, an expat, and a refugee? Why is your passport worth more than mine? Why do we need to get visas? Do they need to be renewed? How do people pay for these things? Why do people move? Is it resources? Well, who takes care of those resources? And it just snowballed. I, and, and it's just adorable because they're saying like, well, what are you? Are you an immigrant or are you an expat? Or are you an, a refugee? And I was like, I have no idea. How do you think I could find out? And they're like, okay, so let me think. What's on your passport? And then my student would be like, oh, it's, it's an Iranian passport. But were you born in Iran? No. Well, how do you have an... And so these kids are like having this discussion about like why they have the passports that they have and, and all of these things. And I'm sitting there typing because I have all the data in the world. I am seeing every standard that I could imagine. My speaking and listening, done. That one learning experience covered about a third or two thirds of my, my standards. Like it was so easy and I discovered so much and it informed my next steps. I knew that my students really didn't understand what a refugee was. I didn't know, they did not know what it was. Did I fix it and tell them the answers? Absolutely not. My job over the next five weeks was to take what I had learned, observed, written down, recorded, and then plan my next steps. I'm guessing that those boys were eager to come back to your class. I like to think so. But what they were excited about was they were in charge. Yeah. It was not me telling them, okay, well, actually we're going to read this book and I'm going to tell you all about immigrants and, and we're going to have this you're conversation. Notes, and then I'm going to test you. And I'll put on a video and I'm going to make sure that you understand it. So we'll stop at every single point and we'll answer those questions about what is human migration from, from a historical perspective. We're not in that world anymore. That's not how education is. We, they are agents. How do I engage a bunch of students who have 
everything at their fingertips. Right. It's not about distilling information anymore for them. We would fail. We would be obsolete. We have to up our game. I asked Dan to jump in here, but I need to give a little bit of context to his answer. Five years ago, Dan and his brother founded a company called Teach Different. They created a conversation protocol that aligns very closely with Kimberly Mitchell's strategies. In fact, he and Kimberly Mitchell will co-facilitate workshops for the worldwide organization Chapters International, and you can find the link in the episode notes. So when Dan talks about the changes in his instruction in his classroom, he merges Kimberly's strategies with his own. So maybe the, what I could do is, is share a tiny bit of that conversation method from Teach Different that I use, and I blend with, with Kimberly's work. So for the conversation method, we start with a philosophical quote on the board, and the kids come up with the claim and the counterclaim to the quote. So they first interpret it, and then they disagree with it. And what they do in both of those steps in the method is they tell personal stories. So I'm going to focus on get personal here. They tell personal stories that show the truth of whatever they're claiming. Okay, so if the quote, I'll give it give an example. Um, Happiness depends on us is an Aristotle quote. I'm going to be doing that one in September. So the kids, when they interpret that, they'll put it in their own words, and then they will tell a story about how happiness depended on them, how they were the reason why they were happy, the decisions they made or whatever. And what that does in a classroom is indescribable because You have kids telling their own personal stories, actually using evidence. When you think about it, you're also doing Kimberly's strategy of encouraging evidence. The evidence being the experiences in their own life. They don't even have to cite themselves. And then they share their stories. And then they hear another kid share a story. And then another kid shares a story. They're listening to one another. And then what happens is, they start asking each other questions about each other's interpretation of the quote. So as a teacher, you're like Aaron was saying, you're kind of sitting back watching this play occur that you're not really controlling. You structured for them, but you're not controlling in any way. And you're allowing them the freedom to get personal, encourage evidence, and, and do the kinds of things that an inquiry-based classroom makes, makes it so special. Yeah, and I feel like you just hit on something that's super, super important and really important for any listener to understand as well. I found that when I switched to more inquiry-based pedagogical practices in my classroom, my job became so much easier. You're not controlling every piece of the learning. There's a lot of planning and thinking ahead about how to structure these experiences well for students. But um, how did it change your load as a teacher? It's a different prism through, through which you look at your, your job. And it it's interesting. You say it's a little bit easier. I would say it's a similar 
difficulty, but it's just so different. It's like you almost have to be a reactor as a teacher, not a controller of, of things. You have to be a better listener and then figure out what they're interested in and then go from there. But but you're right in the sense that you don't have to over plan a lesson. I mean, one of the things that stresses teachers out is that we feel like we have to be in charge from A to Z and we have to meet all these targets along the way. But if you kind of drop that, that um, mentality and you instead just say, how can I structure a learning experience where the kids are figuring out for themselves what's important? Then it does create less stress for you. It really does. I love what you said about it's it's not necessarily less work. It's a different kind of work. You have to be more present, right? Because you said you have to be a better listener. You really have to be so present in the moment. And then Aaron, you said something earlier too, about when your boys had this question and you were like, I don't know. Um, and that's a shift in role for a lot of teachers who feel like I'm supposed to have all the answers. It's my job to give the information. That's not our job anymore. Aaron, would you have anything to add about how it changed your I'm, role? I'm here in Rome for this leadership thing and, and I'm, and we're, we're, talking about listening. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, wow, as a leader, like really could benefit from using some of these strategies. Like this Mm -hmm. isn't just something that you can use like in isolation with teaching. Like why am I not getting personal in my relationships Mm -hmm. as a leader? Why am I not extending wait time and asking more questions? Um, so I think that there's a lot of, again, going back to that, like salt and pepper and like the, you know, it just makes it richer, makes it fuller in, in, um, in our daily interactions as human beings. We're so quick to share and, and, and not wait and listen and be present. And so I think this, this, um, this class that she, that Kimberly offers uh, and through um, inquiry partners really just reminds us about how to be better human beings as we re-navigate this world as a human being, as a teacher, as a leader, as a parent, as a as a child. That was so good. The COVID situation has made it imperative that teachers listen more to what their students are going through and to allow them the space to learn on their own, ask questions, get personal. I mean, we have to do this. I mean, they've everybody's kind of experienced this traumatic event. So, you know, Kimberly's work could not be coming at a better time, I think, than right now. The course and, and the book in tandem is, is the next step for people. If this is a way of teaching that you're curious about and you want to pursue, it's a great place to start. Most of us educators, we're, we're in this profession. Sounds like a cliche, but it's true. It's to make a difference in people's lives. And the way to inquiry teaching and learning, you have a much better chance to make a difference in your students' lives if you teach this way. You might not get the immediate gratification, but if you stick with this, they will see you as someone who cares about them, who gives them space, 
makes them feel safe and makes them belong. You can access Inquiry Partners online course at edcuration.com. Inquiry Partners is currently seeking IB coordinators and school leaders who are interested in test driving their Experience Inquiry online course. So once you locate their page on EdCuration, scroll down and click on Pilot Opportunity or the Let's Talk button to learn more. You can also schedule a demo or download a quote to bring the Inquiry 5 School Bundle as professional learning for your team, staff, or professional learning community. You'll receive Kimberly Mitchell's book, Experience Inquiry, as part of the course, but if you want to purchase just the book, you can find a link in the episode notes. Visit the Inquiry Partners website to find information about events, conferences, free videos, downloadable worksheets, and more. We hope you found this episode informative and encouraging as you're about knee-deep into this new school year, especially if you're feeling worn out or battle-weary. We're here to support you at Ed Curation with high-quality resources and important topics each week. So join us again for another episode next week to reshape learning with the Ed Curation Podcast.